Thank you, Ben, for joining Making a Musician. My pleasure. Well, I wonder if next year I will still be sitting here And I wonder if it's good I was wondering how you would describe yourself. Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? You're using the eye of the holder. <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Myself or music? Me, right. Either, both. Either. Well, I call my music groove ballads because it's sort of what it is. It's like ballads with a bit of a groove, so it's not really genre specific. It changes a lot, but they started out as ballads. I would consider myself a, a working musician these days because it's the only real skill that I've got that I've been working at for years and it'd be silly to start something else now so I thought I have to keep doing it really. Um, five, nine. <laughs> say what I got to say but still my bird don't sing we're living easy really I don't mind but if I actually read your music being described as acoustic guitar based rock and you've actually described it as groove ballads. Yeah, groove ballads. Anyone asks what sort of music do you play, I always just say that. It always stumps them. You're not too sure what it is, but it gets me out of having to try and, you know, stick multiple genres together and say it's sort of like this, sort of like that. I just say groove ballads and it's the end of that sort of question. Remember the first time music grabbed your attention? Pretty much. I was nine years old when I got bought my first guitar, and my parents were sort of always quite encouraging me of doing stuff, so sports and stuff like that. Because I grew up in, I did primary school in Queensland, that's how I got my Australian passport. I came as a kid. My parents were always very supportive of anything that I did, and I remember the moment actually. I was playing a, I was playing guitar on a book, like it was like a big book, and I pretended to play guitar, and I was, I was eight. And my mum goes, do you want a guitar for your birthday? And I was like, yeah. So they bought me this nylon string guitar. And funny enough, there was a guy called George Emiliosis in the area. He's an amazing guitar player. And he was advertising for free guitar lessons. So I went for a guitar lesson like the next day or a couple of days later. And I just picked it up really quickly. I learned to play a song and sang it in one lesson. So I came home and I started singing. Um, well, Hotel California, uh, the other one. House of the Rising Sun, that was it. Yeah, that was the first song I ever learnt, so it's uh, got all the, the chords that you sort of learnt, and I picked up straight away, so pretty much my journey started at nine. I was 10, 11, I was playing with my guitar teacher's band in pubs 
uh, around the area. So I was I played every sort of Monday and Friday night with a band from 10 to 13. You know, so I played quite a lot. Do you remember what songs you were playing in that band? Um, I started playing really old sort of like uh, rock and roll stuff with Eddie Cocker and Summertime Blues. No dice, son, you gotta work late. Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna do, but there ain't no cure. Uh, bits and pieces like that, the real sort of 12 bar blues, sort of rocking sort of stuff, old, old school, Buddy Holly, uh, Twist and Shout, uh, stuff like that, you know, um, Beatles and that. Do you remember a song or a film clip or radio or live performance that caught your attention when you were really young? I was in the 80s, I was born in 77, so it was like, I remember the Dice Straits was one of the first bands that I saw. That I really kept rid of the time, you know, because at the time it was all sort of, you know, Madonna and stuff I didn't really get into, but then Dice Straits really caught my eye and I... I learnt a bunch of bar straight songs, which I still like to play when I do cover songs. Yeah, Money for Nothing, I can picture it now, actually, the video clip. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. That was one of the first ones, I reckon. parents playing any albums when you were growing up? Yeah, pretty much all the stuff that I, I, I played, it was a lot of my dad's tasting music that I started off playing with, so a lot of Stones, Beatles, Dice Straits, Meatloaf actually, The Who, so yeah, like my dad was right into a lot of punky sort of stuff as well, very sort of moddy bands as well, early Who, sort of my generation sort of stuff, so I had a pretty good um, access to some pretty good music. Uh, as, a, as a young kid. Yeah, so they obviously were quite keen listeners. So did they play instruments for parents? No, it was only until we, when we did a family tree that we realised that there was people like my family at the turn of the century were all musicians, but nothing really since like 1902 or something. So not really a musical family at all, really, or quite a few generations. So just likers of music? Likers of music and, uh, and very supportive of, of uh, me as a child, you know, they, they pushed me to, to do stuff. And uh, I mean, I would have given up the guitar over the F chord because I remember trying to play F and it's just the hardest chord in the world when you're first starting. And I would have given up if it wasn't for them hassling me and bargaining, you know, I get to step later if I practice because I didn't like going to bed. Um, I still don't really, but I, I didn't like going to bed as a child. And so the agreement was if I wanted to stay up later, I had to practice my guitar. So, so there were good parents in that way, you know. Oh, that's a really good bribe. I might have to remember that because I've been just trying to make my child learn piano. Yeah, okay. You don't like staying up late because it's a really good one. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, I know. Well, he, he's not quite there yet, but when we... I was like, right, if you want to stay up past this time, it's piano or nothing. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I, I just wanted to stay awake. I didn't want to go to bed because I just didn't like to sleep. I wasn't into it. So I, I practiced uh, heaps of guitar uh, from an early age. And so by the time I was 13, because I, I went back to the UK and I was 13, and I probably didn't get any better as an artist until I came back to Australia, actually. Britain was... I know what it's like now, but when I was over there, like, it was, wasn't the same as it was here. Like I was playing twice a week in a band. Like There was a different support network for music here in Australia than there was in the UK. And then when I went to the UK, okay, there's more bigger record companies and stuff. But as a child, like playing stuff, I just stopped playing, you know? But I played it that much before I was 13 that I, I was actually quite good, you know? I'd, I'd written songs, I was I won competitions. I'd, Mum put me into all the talent competitions, all the shopping centres and stuff like that. So I was, you know, going up against little girls doing ballet routines and there's me kind of, you know, playing rock and roll songs. So I had quite a, quite a lot of experience uh, at an early age, which uh, inevitably got me signed uh, in London when I was 16. Oh, OK. Yeah, it got me signed. I got, I got signed to... That's why I stayed in the UK, really, was because all that was kind of happening. When did you come back to Australia after you were, when you were 13, and then you went again when you were 20? No, no. So I came to Australia when I was three, and then I went back to the UK when I was 13. And then I stayed in the UK until I was 23, and back to Australia. And then I came to Melbourne when I was 25, or 26, something like that. Because I was in Queensland for three years, and then I was going to go back to the UK because um, I just need, I just wanted to play music again. And someone said you should check out Melbourne, and so I just I came down here with my girlfriend at the time. We didn't know anyone at all, and just rolled up into Melbourne and started playing music. Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Cause he's still in love with you, and you're still in love with him. Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Please don't fall for me, cause everyone will see. There's people in this town that would love to see us fall. So be careful who you tell, cause you just can't trust them all. Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Cause he's still in love with you, and you're still in love with him. I won't open up this door Cause I know what lies within Cause he's still in love with you And you're still in love with him You recorded your first album in London? Yeah. And what, what's that one called? It never actually got named or released, but they spent a lot of money on it. Oh, wow. And do you actually have a copy of it? I've got a copy of it. I've, I've been selling it. I probably shouldn't, but <laughs> I sell memory sticks at gigs just with all my back catalogue on it because it's just easier. But I do have copies of it and I've got it. It, it took me a long time to listen to it, actually, because it represented a lot of things that were unresolved for me, you know, in London. It was a, it was a big few years and... It didn't work out the way it was, I thought it was supposed to, and then I came back here and I, you know, I had to restart again, and that represented a lot of that time for me. So yeah. it took me a long time to be able to listen to it and not remember all the stuff I went through. And plus, my voice has got deeper since then because I was like you know, 18, 19 when I recorded it. <laughs> what about you? What about you? 
No, I've still got it. It's amazing. They spent a lot of money on it. They had awesome session musicians. We had Genesis in the studio down in Chiswick. Um, so I reckon they spent, I don't even know, but there was a lot of money, more money on Harvesty. And it was spent on this first album. And it sounds immaculate. It's amazing. We all done to Ted. Um, we had like the best session guys on it. We were a like, good producer. I could drop names all day, but it was not about them. It's about me. <laughs> yes, that's right. Having such a big start, I guess you, you put a lot of pressure on yourself to be something. Absolutely, I think also too at that, that age, a lot you know a lot of people gather around and support too, so family members, also people in London. I was under five or six different contracts by the time I was 21. I didn't even know what anything meant. I'm dyslexic. I don't even, even read them. So there was a lot of pressure and a lot of money. And it took me a long time to forgive myself, actually, for that. Like, it, was, it was a real sore point for me for a long time. I think it's probably one of the reasons why I, I actually came to Melbourne and gave it another crack because I, I wanted to prove something, you know, even just to myself. So I was worthy of that, you know. But it took me a while to let that go. Um, I have now, but it, it took me a long time, you know, to, to um, emotionally. You came back to Australia and won music awards here, is that right? Yeah. So obviously you proved to yourself that you were worthy. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask, even with winning awards, you know, back in the early 2000s or mid 2000s, whether that um, placed extra pressure on yourself as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, I've done the whole album push record company thing about three or four times over, you know, and it's, it's a really hard thing to get right. You know, everyone that's involved in your operation needs to be sound, you know, like, because you're only as strong as your weakest link. And, and I mean, sometimes that was me too, so I can't blame other people, but I did it a few times. So I, I got a manager when I got here, I won that award, got signed, well, I didn't actually get signed, but I got offered a contract from uh, ABC, did an album with Chris Thompson. And it just didn't work, didn't work out. The manager that I had at the time started getting weird and I broke up my girlfriend. So a lot of personal things came into it. So I didn't work out and then I gave it another go around about maybe eight years ago with a record company from Geelong called Dust Devil. And we put that out and we started touring that. And then it got to the same spot again where I'd just thrown so much of my life and so much of my time into something. And I was 31 by this stage where it, it fell apart again, you know. And it really pissed me off that it, I, I was back at the same place again. And I mean, it was, I'm not blaming anyone else, I'm just as much to blame for it not happening. But around about that time, I decided, I said, why do I play music? What, do, what, do I, what am I doing this for? And I come to the conclusion that every time I play music, every time I pick up my guitar, my life gets better. Every time I play, you know, so I was just like, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take all that pressure off myself and I'm just going to play for the job and I'm going to play to communities. I'm going to play to enhance my life. And that's what I've pretty much been doing for, I say, years around Australia. 
Australia, Victoria, a lot around Victoria. I mean, anywhere I can drive to and then drive back, you know, in a day, I'll do. Um, but Australia is such a big place. But I've just, I've, I don't know, that's just become my life now. So I play. I haven't got an album out for a long time. I just, I just really wanted to just play music because that's what I wanted to do, not for any greater purpose. I wanted to sing and play music and experience my life through music, which I've, I've been doing, you know. Be careful of the devil on my shoulder. Be careful of the devil on my shoulder. What is it about music that keeps bringing you back, even though you sort of had a roller coaster journey? Well, apart from the fact that it's the only real skill that I've got, you know, that I can use, I can't explain how you can go to a, a town or a place and you can walk in as an unknown person and then play some music and you get to meet everyone. You know, you get to you get to see the intricate parts of that community or wherever it is you're playing in the night. You know, I, I just think that's absolutely amazing but I don't know I don't know if enough musicians even realize that or know that or do it for those reasons but that's the reason why I kept doing it because well a I, I can work I can go and play so I work with venues venues that are just starting out you know I'll, I'll play there or I'll, I'll help other musicians get work there and that becomes a symbiotic relationship over time that you can rely upon you know, if you've got a place you can go play twice a month, then you sort of, well, there's my rent. There's a fine line between playing your own stuff and entertaining a crowd that's there, but you can do it. You don't have to play on covers. You got, you know, you can play some familiar stuff. It doesn't have to be Wonderwall. It can be Chris Isaac or something. You know, it can be something that you like, but it just needs to be familiar so you can work with that crowd. You do the best you can. But your memories are stuck to your fingers like jam And your heart's locked away I have to admit that it's real hard to see You're so far away when you're so close to me And it's lonely I... So that's pretty much what I've been doing. I've been working with venues around the place that support me. I support them. I make sure that the people that are there stay for longer and drink more. And in turn, they give me a bit of cash, which I can sort of live on, you know? And that's pretty much what I've been doing for as long as I can remember. <laughs> and you're pretty lucky in a way, because yeah, most of the musicians I've spoke to so far are all trying to work or sleep in cars and, and do their music. And it's, you know, it's quite a tough career choice for most people. It's very hard. Some of the licensing things they put on venues, I mean, they make it very hard for venues to even stay. I know the venue where I live in Warrnambool is currently doing a crowdfunding campaign so they are able to get their licence again and it's pretty much the only life. The Loft? Yeah, The Loft. Yeah, it's a great little venue. Australia's an amazing place in the culture. Like, here in the support network with music is, is different. Like, it's, it's really special in Australia. That's one of the reasons why I stay. And I've honed and refined my art here because people want to listen. People want to hear you play music. They, they 
will sit and they'll buy drinks all night to hear your original stuff. I never really found that in the UK when I was there. It was mainly old DJs. I mean, it was the 90s, but I never found the same support network there that I did here. And it's, it's very heartbreaking to see that change culturally, you know? It's a shame to see that, that beautiful thing not be fed and, and you know, blossoms, because it should. Like, some amazing Melbourne's, like, one of the hubs of anywhere in Australia, you guys play little towns and you, you get a local support act and you're like, oh my God, you're absolutely amazing talent, you know, and the whole community supports them and, and it's beautiful thing to see. And Melbourne, there's so many amazing artists. I mean, people say, what sort of music do I like? And I'll just start dropping names of friends in Melbourne. But they're as good as anyone. And I can speak to them and interact with them and be a part of their journey. So I've sort of shied away from big stars and, you know, music that I'm people I'm never going to ever meet. The people that I can hang out with and call, you know, and support their journey. What are you currently listening to? I've been listening to Fat Freddy Scott for the last 10 years, Colin. <laughs> I've never, I've never met those guys either. I don't listen to a lot of music because I play so much. I mean, I've played a bunch of shows last week. I've been in the studio actually recording a, an album, first one in a long time. So I was sort of a month and a half into that, but I play a lot of gigs. I haven't listened to much music for a long time. But there was a guy, one of my favourites in the summer, he's a called Dan Hall. He's got a, a solo album called Southside Rebel. Uh, I don't know where you'll get your hands on it, um, but Southside Rebel, uh, it's on, uh, it'll be on. Uh, YouTube and um, Spotify, possibly. He is my favourite singer-songwriter. So a pulse is on your sight In the hope that you might write back When you're bored at work Opposite that total jerk Who took you out that night But it just didn't feel right Ever since he hasn't looked you in the eye Is that the album you think everyone should own? If you can find it. If you can find it? Yeah, Southside Rebels it's called. And it's the most heartbreaking, beautiful ballad you're ever going to hear. I'm envious of this guy's talent. Now, you're actually listening to and you won't get better um, songs and performance. And for me, I mean, it's all down to your own opinions, you know, but for me, it strikes a chord. And I'll reference that album. And then I'll go to Bonova. Um But that's just me, maybe because I know him. Uh, I've, I've been part of his journey. I feel like I'm a part of the album as well. You know? Oh, this love is it too much? Do you remember the first song you couldn't get enough of? Oh, first one didn't get enough of. I think it. I remember when I was a kid, I was trying to record songs off the radio, and I recorded Black Velvet. Black Bells, I can't remember the words, but I listened to the <laughs> hell out of that. I don't even know who it is now. There's a band called Delamitri I listened to. I actually listened to a lot of Guns and Roses and Iron Maiden and stuff when I was uh, in the teens. 
my brother ran away from home to go see Midnight Oil play in Waterloo Live in the 80s. And I'm wondering if you have done anything as extreme to go see a gig. Yeah. No, not that extreme. I did actually go to a, a, a really strange gig once, which was, remember Right Said Fred? Yeah. I was at their first ever gig in London just randomly. It was some people who had tickets. It was like, I was Right Said Fred, their first and probably only ever gig I was at there. Oh, and I did see Michael Jackson play live. I remember that one comfortable stage for a dangerous tour, 89. I went to watch him in somewhere in the UK. It was just ridiculous amounts of people. And he took off with a jetpack at the end of the... I remember. Oh, wow. And do you remember which was the first? Probably things that I was a part of when I was a kid. One picture I remember when I first came back from London, I was blown away by the music in Australia and the band and stuff. And I went to see a band called Afro DVX. They're a Brisbane band. They're not together anymore. And uh, I went to see them about three or four times. Um, before they broke up, and I thought they were amazing, really cool. Wow, when you were little, do you remember the first time you got on stage? I thought I remember the very first time, but I do remember times around that time. And what about when you first got on stage doing your solo stuff? I played a couple of showcases in London, uh, which were pretty cool gigs, but not many. Um, when I won that competition in 2004, I got to play at the Melbourne Blues Festival, and Pete Murray was on the main stage, and someone gave him a bit of paper and said, tell him about this other guy who played, which is me, one of my friends, and he said, I'll make sure you go and check out some of the other stages. So the sea of people came in, and I think it's the date still one of my best gigs that I've ever done. Like, voice, everything, like, songs, everything. In front of, I don't know, a couple of thousand people, and that was a gig that I remember. Uh, quite a lot of I played solo. Turn up my collar and I smell your perfume. Well, I still see your face in my mind. I walk on emptiness mentioned Michael Jackson. Is there anyone else, any other gigs you've seen? Really, unless I know the band, I know the person personally, I don't find myself going to watch someone that I'm never going to meet, you know? But friends' bands and stuff like that, yeah. Like Billy Abbott's band, I'll go and watch the Harmonia any time they're playing. There's a band called Elmos, which we used to share a few players. Um, they are my, they are my favourite band, the Melbourne band. Reggae sort of stuff, just reggae rock, loose cool guys whenever they're playing if I'm not playing I'll go to that gig and I'll watch the whole thing start to finish because I'm connected to it you know in a friend's way sort of thing so yeah kind of the gigs that I see sort of musical styles do make you take notice? Oh, I think anything done well. Anything done well. I'm not really sort of genre specific. So are you a music person or a lyrics person? For a lyricist, I'm probably a music person. It's weird. It takes me a long time to even hear the words in the song. I do like lyrics, but I have to say that it's the melody and the music that catches me every time. And then the, the then the words are an extra. Yeah. But the melody and the melody and the music instantly grabs me if it's something I like. And then I'll figure out what the words are. Because some songs you can't even tell what the words are, you have to look them up.
What I was going to ask you about playing, so you picked up the Marlin string when you were about eight, and you've pretty much stayed with an acoustic guitar, so you don't play much electric guitar? No, well I've got really nice electric, I'm actually putting some electric parts out on, on this album. Um, I just I just find that the acoustic guitars are the, the one, bring one guitar to all jobs, so solo or whatever. I mean, I've, I've heavily modified my Nature 901. Actually, it's a Nature 901. I've put a second pickup system in it so I can run an amplifier. Um, I've put a couple of holes in it accidentally, which actually makes it sound better because it doesn't feed back. So my acoustic is, is like a one of a kind. I have to actually get a new one and break it to, for it to be as good as the one that I've got. Um, and I just find it does everything that I need. It's rhythmical. I can hit it. I can, you know, I can play along with the drummer. So, you know, me and the, I've been playing with Jimmy O'Connor, my drummer, for over 10 years now. And so really, whenever we put a band together, people are just playing to us and me and Jimmy are playing the songs and, and we play off each other. So rhythmically, it's really good because he follows my strumming with his snare and I'm hitting the guitar like a snare, but also playing the acoustic. So as soon as I pick up an electric, it's a different type of playing. I don't. I mean, I love it, and you can do a lot more with it. But it, you know, you you got to correct it more. You got to touch it. Whereas acoustic, you can you know, afford to give it a bit of stick, and it's sort of I, I like that feel on yeah. the guitar. But I do. I I am starting to play a bit more electric, especially with this album. And I love you know getting nice instruments with nice amplifiers and pulling really nice sounds. I just find for a purely on a work basis, I've got an acoustic in the car with my box of leads, and I can take it anywhere and do anything. You know, but if I was to start playing electric, then I'd have to have an electric guitar and an amplifier only to be able to use it every now and then. So that's why I've stuck with it, not because of any real sort of massive favoritism, it's just more of an all round instrument. Is guitar your only instrument? Oh, I'm only a good one. I, I can think around on stuff like keyboards and, and percussion and stuff, but having played with so many amazing musicians, I just usually leave it up to the ones that actually play it. I can get a, I can get a, you give me a tuba, I'll get, I'll get a tune out of it eventually, you know. But guitars are the only one, and vocals are the only one that um, I've put any decent amount of time in. Probably even vocals first, it probably took me a long time to be able to keep up with the musicians that I play with, with my instrument. Because as a, a singer-songwriter, the acoustic was initially was just to, to sing to, you know. So I would just play basic chords. And then I was singing, my singing was the sort of main instrument. It wasn't until I started playing with other musicians, especially in Melbourne, that I was like, I need to pick up my game a little bit on my acoustic because I haven't given it enough time. As, as much as, uh, say, a guitar player who's purely a guitar player, I mean, they're still, you know, they've put a lot more time than I have into their instrument because that's their instrument, you know? So it took me a long time to be able to put my acoustic on and play with confidence in front of really good musicians. But yeah, it's the only instrument I can play reasonably well. And is there an instrument you wish to play? Um, yeah, bass players are pretty cool, but you know, not really. I like the guitar. I'd love, to, I'd love to be able to play um, piano better. Actually, I was even thinking about getting some piano lessons because there's just so much you can do with a keyboard, and it's you know so easy to play crazy chords um, than it is to play on a guitar. You know, so I wouldn't mind putting more time into the, the keyboards. Um, but no, I'm pretty happy with the instrument I picked for sure. <laughs> Do you remember the first song you wrote? Yeah. I was pretty young. So, so <laughs> probably shouldn't say this either, but when I was really young, my dad was a poet. My dad used to write poetry. And when I was young, I started singing some of his poems. And I actually won a competition when I was 10 through the school system, which was write a poem or a song to, to promote your state. 
and I was living in Queensland. So uh, my dad wrote the words. He made it sound like it was a kid, and I sang it. I won, like, out of the whole of Queensland. I got to go and meet the Premier and stuff. It was very funny because I was, I was very naughty at school and I got in lots of trouble because I was dyslexic and whatever. I don't like labels, but I, was, I had a hard time keeping up. And then I used to play up and then I was always in trouble. They would kick me out of the football team. It was horrible. I hated school. So I was always in trouble. And I'd just been through a really big episode with my dad and the school and the football team and bits and pieces and letters to... The education department and stuff. It was a really full-on time. I was back with the forward from the office. And then I got a call back to the office. I'm like, the headmaster hated me. And I've gone up to the office. I'm like, what is it now? And he's gone, you just won the school $3,000 worth of, worth of like, stationery and pencils and shit. And uh, you've won the competition to promote the state. You get to go and meet the Premier in Queensland. And I was like, well, that's a flip, isn't it? Jesus. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I was just like very random to sort of the, like the day before I was, you know, getting in all sorts of trouble and then all of a sudden I was just hero of the school. So that's when I was like, I've got to keep playing music, it makes my life better. <laughs> yeah, it's that recognition and that you're doing something good and when you get rewarded rather than punished, you feel better about yourself. Absolutely. My lyric writing came from poetry too because I wrote a poem in year 10 or 11 I got full marks for it. I didn't think it was that fantastic but, but it just really led me into poetry and then led me into lyric writing and there you go. <laughs> just having someone go, oh you, you've got a bit of talent there and you just go, oh okay, that's something I can do. Well maybe one day the schooling system will find what the children are good at and um, emphasise that instead of getting them in trouble for not becoming fucking lawyers and and uh, you know, big bankers and uh, the only thing that my school had in mind for, for me was my music department was terrible. It was all academic based stuff, that's why I got in so much trouble because I just don't fit into that sort of pigeonhole very well, you know. I mean, it wasn't until I started creating stuff and that I found a sort of path that thought I could probably go on. So did you actually finish school? I stayed on for the second last year of school pretty much just despite the teachers and for something to do. I left, so I was in the UK, so it was the equivalent of like year 11. Use year 12, so I didn't do year 12. I could have left at year 10, but I was like, eh, I don't know. I can pretty much do what I want now. So I just took art, music, woodwork, drama for my last year at school and just asked around because I just thought, well, I might as well. And then I went to college and stuff. But I didn't really finish school academically with good grades or anything. Nothing. I mean, even my end of year report from the, the head of the school, you know, it was meant to be your thing that you give to jobs for, you know, he just said, and that says Ben doesn't want to do something, he won't do it. I'm like, well, there you go. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's going to do me well in the, in the future, getting jobs, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's a bit nasty, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't have a good time at school at all. I couldn't wait. And then you had teachers saying the best years of your life were at school. I was like, not my life or not. <laughs> but pretty much as soon as I left school, my life got awesome. Your dad wrote the lyrics of um, your first real song. So what about your own first song lyrics? Well, my dad wrote lyrics to quite a few songs, actually. Um, my early ones. Especially the ones that helped me get signed. So I reckon it took a little while for my own writing skills to kind of match what I'd done in the first couple of years. I don't know, like my real musical journey that I really consider is when I first moved to Melbourne. That's where my songwriting started. I mean, I'd written songs, I'd done stuff, I'd been in the studio, I'd done, I was, you know, seeing um, opportunities I'll never see again in my younger years, but it wasn't until I came here when I was 25 that I think I wrote my, my best stuff when I really started becoming a songwriter. 
I don't need no place to hide away. Well, I don't need the past, no sideways glance or your sympathy. I just want your love. What was the first song you wrote in Melbourne about? Do you remember? Pretty much 90% of all my songs are about girlfriends <laughs> or ex-girlfriends, what's the point? Um, I am trying to find new subject matter. Uh, it's hard to find subject matter. You either sing about yourself or you sing about someone else. It's hard. And if you're doing heaps of songs, sometimes I felt like I just purely got into dysfunctional relationships for something to write about. <laughs> I was like, why does this keep happening? I was like, well, you did get a couple of good songs out of it. It wasn't a waste of time after all. <laughs> Can you write songs when you're happy? Nah, I've got, I don't want anything to do with writing songs when I'm happy. <laughs> no, nothing to do with them. I don't want to... Yeah, no, 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 I don't write songs. I'll play gigs when I'm happy and stuff, but I won't write stuff. I've tried, and it's just... I have a bit of logic to the major key. Like, I like minors. I don't mind going to a major while you're playing in a minor, but starting on that kind of major key, you know, I'm so happy. I just... <laughs> makes me itchy, I can't do it. Do you write the music... Before your lyrics or the lyrics before your music? Oh, I'll pretty much start with a, I'll start with a few chords and a melody in my head and then I'll start forming syllables around the melody and then I'll form some words into the melody and then I'll go, what am I singing about? I just want your love I just want your love I just want your love So pretty much the first few lines of the first verse is the starting point, definitely. And then I'll write the words to the music. So whether it will be phrased a certain way or a repeating sort of rhyming word or whatever, that's how I pretty much start the song. So I mean, some songs I've had like a verse for two years, longer, because until I find the right chorus or the right bridge, I won't ruin that verse, you know, I won't waste that verse. I mean, I don't write a lot. I mean, I probably wrote two songs last year, but both songs I play, I could have written 30 and just used two, but I just wrote two, and I just, I just complete them as I go, so I might have a half a song in my head or a part of a, a song in my head for months before I do anything with it, you know, but I, I don't like rushing it. And if I've got a really kick-ass verse, I won't complete it until I have a really kick-ass chorus, because then... If you just throw away a chorus onto it for the sake of it, then you have to write another verse, different one, you know, because you've used it on that. So I pretty much will take a long time on the song, yeah. With the songs that you're currently writing for your new album, how have you come about those ones? So they've obviously come from a vast number of years. Because I haven't recorded an album in such a long time. I mean, I've done a couple of EPs. I just recorded them and then gave them to people at gigs, pretty much. So I have recorded some of these songs that I'm doing again, but I haven't recorded them properly. So I've actually got quite a, an extensive back catalogue of songs over the last, you know, six, seven years that I haven't recorded, I haven't put out. So I'm doing a whole bunch of old ones that we play still with the band, you know. So because we do quite a few gang gigs and we're still playing these songs. These are our main sort of songs. So I'm just giving them a home. I'm recording them properly. And then, I sort of, I did two last year. I've probably done about three or four this year songs. 
I, it comes in, comes in waves. I'll get a bit of a rush. So I've got maybe six or seven new ones, which are a bit more middle of the road. They're not really up tempo. They're not really slow. They're kind of the band's involved, but they're very mellow sort of thing. Um, and this whole album, I've just every other album, I've sort of gone. What do people want to hear? They're just slight length. Are people gonna like it or whatever? And this time, I've just gone. I don't care about any of that. I am just gonna record the songs how I want to hear them. So there's six minute songs on there. And there's nothing under four minutes. That's usually a big or it has to be three. 20 for radio play where he never plays it anyway so I'm just going to make it as long as I want I'm going to put whatever instruments I want on it and I'm going to sing whatever I like because I'm doing it for me this time um, so I've got a lot of material yeah, short, I did a shortlist for the album and that came up with 30 tracks so I've knocked that down to 16 I've got another 14 to do next album if I want so I'm just sticking to that which is your favourite song that you've written by yourself? All of them? Yeah, it depends. Sometimes I like one and other times I like the other ones, depending on what I'm doing. Uh, I had to think about this. Actually, there's a couple of new, usually the newest ones, the ones I haven't played that much of, are the ones that I, I like the most. There's one called Let Time Decide, and that one I wrote about my ex-girlfriend, and that is probably one of my favourites right now. It probably represents the best writing I think I've done. And is that going to be on the new album? Oh, yeah. And um, when will the album be out? Well, I was aiming for the start of December, but it always takes a bit longer. But I'm fairly into it now. Like I've been recording for a month with all the drums, all the electric guitars, working on the saxophone now. And we've got slide guitar, we've got bass to go on, we've got harmonies, we've got piano, light on 16 tracks. So I'm just, when it's ready, it'll be done. I don't want to rush it because of the process. We're paying good money for this one. And how does it compare to like Whiskey Sunset and Sometimes Always Never? Like, have you noticed a change in your style? Oh, absolutely. That was a long time ago now. That was nine years ago I released it, Sometimes Always Never, and Whiskey Sunset. So they were done by the record label that we signed, uh, Dust Devil over here. They put them out. And it was kind of got us together because we were just kicking around pubs playing and then all of a sudden this record company's like, sort your shit out and do an album. So we did, we had a producer in the studio. I think that everything I record now and do now is better than that, but that's just my opinion. I think my playing, my singing, my writing, the musicians that I'm playing with, which are mostly the same musicians actually, but the whole thing is just nine years further on, you know, because I've got, so I reckon better. You crown me like no other does. I hope I do the same for you. I've got these 10 quick questions where I just ask you to compare the two things they give you and you have to choose one, whether you like it or not. So the 10 quick questions are, guitars or drums? Oh, that's a hard one. Beatles or Elvis? Oh, I would have said Beatles a long time ago, but these days I'm actually a bit more of an Elvis fan, I have to say. I think I'm learning a bit more about Elvis' journey. I've grown more a liking to him because, I mean, I was one of the kids, you saw the movies and all that, and I was like, oh yeah, but when you actually get to find out what happened to him, what he had to do and what he did, and the amount of pressure was put on him and those shitty-ass movies he had to do, or losing his contract, and then, oh, and just the way he died and everything, I'm just like, yeah, man, I feel you, brother. Abba or the Ramones? Abba or the Ramones? Well, Abba are the most successful recording band in the world, aren't they? Um, but you've got a bit of Ramones. I've got no real um, affinity with Abba. Nirvana or Pearl Jam? I can't see. Yeah, it's If you said Nirvana or Smashing Pumpkins, I would have gone straight to Nirvana. Two biggest bands in my teens, man. Kirk Cobain, nah. died on my 16th birthday, like it was right at that time. Pearl Jam 10, oh, 
one there. So choose one. Nirvana Jam. What about the go-betweens and Paul Kelly? Go-between? Country or drum and bass? Drum and bass. Classical or hip-hop? <sighs> Classic hip-hop. <laughs> you know, back when it was real. <laughs> Straight out of Compton. <laughs> Gigs or the studio? Gigs. House or tramp? House. And the Sex Pistols or Joy Division? Oh, um, Joy Division. My next question is... Bonnie Prince Billy told me that he would do a duet with me and I'm wondering what song should Bonnie Prince Billy do with me? Love will tear us apart. Oh, fantastic. All the way through. You can put on a loop pedal. Love, love Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you didn't know that one. Uh, that is a really beautiful song. So thank you, Ben, for joining Making a Musician this week. It's been fantastic to talk to you. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to talk to you on your podcast. No worries, and I wish you all the best with your album. Thank you very much. I'll let you know when it's ready to go. I'll send you a copy. Cool.